Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Welcome along again to Travel First. My name is Alex First and we've been journeying through Europe over the last several weeks and joining me on the expedition, Chris Coleman as usual. G'day Chris. Alex, always fun to talk to you and today we continue our journey through Europe. We do indeed, and I was talking to you about Bruges last week, which is a wonderful, wonderful place to visit, and a place I promised myself as a student to go back and see as an older adult, which I did, and I think I'd like to go back there again, quite frankly, but about two o'clock in the afternoon, we then caught a bus to the train station and went off by train, well, we set off for Brussels Airport and arrived there for an EasyJet flight to Basel in Switzerland. And it was a late afternoon flight. Now, public transport got us to our hotel once we had landed. The hotel in Basel was called the Tuffelhof, T-E-U-F-E-L-H-O-F. So Tuffelhof, Basel, 33 rooms from standard up to art suites, a couple of restaurants, one of them with a Michelin star, no less, a wine cellar just for you, Chris, a coffee shop and bar and four conference rooms. We had a couple of very enjoyable meals at the hotel that night, I might say, that the hotel kindly brought to our rooms. Just to give you an idea of what we had, my wife, Nadine, had pumpkin soup, duck and salad. And I enjoyed, as I always like, a vegetarian pasta with a fruit salad for dessert that the chef had prepared especially for me because I don't like my oils and butters and fats and salts and peppers or added sugars. So I had my special request and it was no problem at all at the Tuffelhof Basel. Very impressive. And as I say, it's not often you stay at a hotel that has a Michelin star. Correct? True. Yes. So that in itself, it was very nice. I actually checked out a few of the restaurants and it was lovely. Well, the two that they had. So Basel, the old city on the bend in the Rhine, has the highest density of museums in Europe. There you go. That's a claim to fame. Some 40 of them in all. And it's at the junction of three countries, which are Switzerland. It is in Switzerland. It's in Switzerland, but it's the junction of Switzerland, France and Germany. So distinctly cosmopolitan in flavour. Do the languages change as you go from quarter to quarter? Or third no, to third, no, I suppose? Third, yes, exactly. No, no, no. Uh, Swiss is spoken in Basel, but English was also spoken. So, I mean, it's very... As <laughs> That's said, always helpful. It is always very helpful. It's, it's cosmopolitan in nature. While we, unfortunately, did not have the time to visit any of the 40 museums, what we did see... Well, we we obviously saw the superbly preserved idyllic old town with its quaint squares and winding streets, as well as outstanding examples of modern architecture. We actually took a guided tour, a walking tour, one and a half hours, with a very knowledgeable guide. 
the cathedral is an undoubted landmark. The former Episcopal Church was built between the 12th and 15th centuries in Romanesque and Gothic styles. Today, the square around the church is actually a meeting place often used for events. The City Hall, particularly eye-catching as well. Red facade, characteristic tower and playful frescoes. The oldest part of this imposing structure was built between 1504 and 1514. In the centre court is a statue of the founder of the first Roman settlement in the Basel region. One thing that particularly took my fancy was a fountain which had many moving sculptures. It's called the Carnival Fountain, mm. a homage to the Basel Carnival, which is Switzerland's biggest carnival. It takes place between February 23 and 25, when the year that we were there, which was 2015, and it was by a Swiss artist called Jean Tingley, T-I-N-G-U-E-L-Y, who lived from 1925 to 1991, and it was inaugurated in 1977. Now, this is the Carnival Fountain. It was also intended as a gesture of conciliation towards the Basel public, who had opposed the demolition of the old theatre whose stage had been located at that spot. So they tore down the stage and they put in the Carnival Fountain. For that reason, the fountain figures, and this is great, were constructed from parts of the demolished theatre. Isn't that special? That's clever. I really love the backstory. I think it's amazing. And incidentally, sometimes in winter, they take on a very different feel because frozen spray covers them and then they become sculptures of ice. I just think it's amazing. So it has a totally different feel in summer than it does in winter. In fact, there's also a museum dedicated to Jean Tingley, undoubtedly one of the most innovative and important Swiss artists. You can Google him in the 20th century. The permanent exhibition at this museum presents an overview of four decades of his creative activity, from his early beginnings in the 50s with motorised reliefs through to the large-scale sculptures and mechanical sculptures of the 1980s. Near our hotel was another statue I liked. This was of a man with a cigar in his left hand, even though I'm not for smoking, even though I'm a vehement anti-smoker. It's a man called Dr Rudolf Riggenbach, born in 1882, died in 1961. He was a lover of the arts, a researcher, also a publicist, quite stocky, usually seen with his coat hanging open and a cigar lit. That's dangerous in Switzerland because it gets cold there. It does. Well, he was an official curator of monuments for 20 years, between 1932 and 1952. And when he passed away, they raised a monument to him in the hope that his original character might continue to stand up for the cultural heritage of Basel. Again, I think the stories is great. I mean, wonderful stuff. So there's a statue of Rudolf Riggenbach. Uh, Nice. But you don't have to have a guide like we did, as good as he was. You can walk through the old town yourself with the help of a butte small DL-sized brochure called Experiencing Basel. Five walks across the old town. It shows you where you should go and and what you're actually seeing when you go there. And you can experience Basel's history using cutting-edge, handheld multimedia technology. It's called an eye guide, and it comes with commentary and more than 500 images. You can book that 
at Basel Tourism, the Basel Tourism Tourist Information Offices, for about $20 for four hours, or 30 bucks Australian, I'm talking about, for a full day. So check it out, an eye guide. Good idea, isn't it? It is, it is. And uh, can I say, I, I'm... I'm... I'm amazed by how how much of this is going on around the world these days. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's more and more of this sort of stuff because it's kind of like some people like the old technology. They like the, the, the guides that you can put in your hand and you can flip over the pages, etc. But these days with mobile phones and all sorts of technological devices, obviously that comes with the benefits to especially people who are willing to embrace it because – it, it means that you don't have to carry around all this paper. I mean, you know all the guides that you can buy in the shops. They're quite weighty tomes. And when you're sort of travelling for weeks on end, you don't want to have a lot of stuff. And that's why if you can sort of buy something like this for a short space of time and spend 20 bucks, then why wouldn't you go there? And, and look, walking is a great way of seeing Basel, no question. Many European cities, but Basel in this case, really, really good. And so that's all the time we had. Pardon me, we were there. We weren't even there for a day. I mean, this is, this is you know, I have to go back to Switzerland. Switzerland is just the most amazing country. We we caught a Eurail train. I mean, again, go to raileurope.com.au. As I've said to you many times before, Australians punch above our weight with Rail Europe. Pound for pound, kilogram for kilogram, there's more Australians that travel on Rail Europe than any other nationality of the 200 around the world. And you can, if you book, go to raileurope.com.au, you can get cheap, much cheaper than buying just one-off tickets. You can buy a ticket to a particular country for a particular length of time. So you can go to several countries and you can buy tickets through those countries. So just check it out. There's a lot to see on the Rail Europe website. Anyway, we caught a, a um, Rail Europe train or Eurail train covering a route known as the Golden Pass Line from Basel to Lucerne. Put simply, it's this breathtaking rail journey, and this is really the Golden Pass Line, just check that out, breathtaking rail journey through some of the most picturesque snow-covered landscape in the world. And all the talk can't prepare you for it. You simply have to experience the many peaks and great lakes of Switzerland during winter. Once we arrived at Lucerne Central Railway Station, we, we caught public transport to our hotel, which was the romantic Wilden Marne Lucerne. Romantic spelt with a T-I-Q-U-E. The romantic Wilden Marne, M-A-N-N, Lucerne. Gothic in style, dates back 150 years. But even before that, one of the seven properties that came together to make up the hotel was a restaurant come tavern in the year 1517, right? So that's how far back it dates, even though the, you know, the, the, the actual hotel hasn't been there for that length of time. It was a restaurant come tavern. So the romantic Wildenmann Lucerne, it's got 48 rooms in five categories, 48 rooms, five categories, from single rooms up to suites. It's also got a couple of restaurants, one of fine dining, French Mediterranean style, called Restaurant Sauvage, the other serving typical Swiss cuisine, roasts, pastries and sausage among its specialties called Burger Struber. Burger Struber. They're the two restaurants. So Sauvage and Burger Struber. The Wildenmann Lucerne also has four conference rooms catering for between eight and 40 people, although if they're joined, the, the, 
largest of these two rooms, they can cater for 60. It's called Wilden Man, by the way, or Wild Man, after a legend. Prehistoric bones were found in the vicinity, and they thought they belonged to a very large human being, hence the words Wild Man. And his bones are held in Lucerne's Natural History Museum. In reality, the bones don't belong to a wild man. Rather, a, I'm sorry, rather a large beast, like a woolly mammoth. So it's still a nice story. It's a nice story, but it would have been so much better if it had been a genuine wild man. Wild man. Well, look, let's go back to Lucerne. It was established in 1178, and it continued to expand, and with it, so did its fortifications. Towers were built along the city walls. Nine of those stone structures, each different from one another, still stand today going back to 1178, and four are open to the public, all right? So, wow, amazing. The first large Baroque church in Switzerland was constructed in 1666 for the Jesuits, and Lucerne is especially known also for its wooden bridges. Built in the middle of the 14th century, the chapel bridge rests on stone columns beneath the river's surface. Originally, the bridge was part of Lucerne's fortifications. For that reason, the bridge's lakeside wall is higher than the other side. And that, why, I mean, it was amazing to actually see this, Chris. That made it easier. It was very practical for soldiers to rest their weapons on top of it. Oh, that's clever. I think so. And what's especially remarkable about Lucerne's wooden bridges is their artwork. There's triangular paintings under the eaves of the rooftops. And there's a series of works decorating the chapel bridge, first created in the 17th century, in the first quarter of the 17th century. Unfortunately, a fire recently, in 1993, August 18 to be exact, destroyed a portion of the bridge and the paintings. Isn't that terrible? Well, that's always the risk with, uh, with wooden bridges. Of course. Well, the portion of the bridge that was destroyed has since been rebuilt to replicate the style of the original. And there, fortunately, are still many of the original triangular paintings. I've not seen anything like that again anywhere in the world. The Spruer Bridge was completed as part of the city fortification in 1408. And between 1626 and 1635, 67 paintings which represent the dance of death were added to the Spruer Bridge. And it's called that, the Spruer Bridge, because this was the only place that chaff from wheat, known as sprue, could be dumped into the river. Anyone looking for fountains in Lucerne is going to find one pretty quickly. There are about 225 fountains in the metropolitan area. 166 of these fountains are public. So you can find magnificent examples also of old sculptures on the squares in the inner city in Lucerne. Now, there's a German composer, theatre director and conductor called Richard Wagner, who you must have heard of. Wagner, he, yes. Yeah. Well, he was in exile in Switzerland, and we visited a favourite restaurant that he used to frequent in Lucerne. And the city also has a museum dedicated to Wagner, which unfortunately was closed. It's closed during winter. Historical buildings clad in frescoes border the old town on the right bank of the River Rus at a number of picturesque squares. The 
wine market is especially attractive. So too, the Hirchenplatz Square, named after an old inn dating from the Middle Ages, and the Corn Market Square, which features the town hall and this beautifully painted Fiston Guild Hall. This Renaissance-style town hall with an overhanging roof was built between 1602 and 1606, faces the Rus, the river, which is the fourth largest river in Switzerland. The Church of St. Leodgar is the most important church and a landmark in Lucerne. It was built from 1633 to 1639 on the foundation of the Roman Basilica, which burnt down in 1633. So straight away, they built the Church of St. Leodgar. Charming city. It really is. Again, we didn't have enough time to explore it. A lot to offer the tourist. Again, best seen on foot because there's lots of nooks and crannies to explore. We ate dinner in the restaurant Balance, which is part of the Hotel Balance, which dates back to 1836. Fine dining restaurant, white tablecloths, silver service, and a pianist playing three nights a week, Thursday through Saturday during winter. Cello, the assistant manager who served us, had been there for 20 years. He was the most incredibly attentive waiter, well, manager come waiter, as was his fellow waiter. The food with a Mediterranean touch, the ambience and the staff were just perfect. Operate seven days a week for breakfast, lunch and dinner. So check that one out when you are there. Restaurant balance, part of the hotel balance. It's got an a la carte menu and a charcoal grill menu serving steaks and fillets and fish, sausages, veal, beef, lamb and the like. Both Nadine and I had very, very, very tender chicken with vegetables and salad. Her dessert, I always talk about my wife's dessert, white chocolate mousse, tangerine sorbet, coconut espuma and raspberries. And I ate raspberries, mango and red currant. Oh, nice. It was lovely. I Restaurant can't imagine makes, uh, ma- make, uh, mangoes are uh, uh, native to Switzerland, though. No, no, I, I, I can't imagine that either, but I haven't Googled it to, to check it out. But the, the restaurant was lovely. Restaurant balance seats 60 people. By the way, during summer, it's a particularly pleasant place to be on the outside terrace directly beside the Roos River. So that was our experience. And again, we had barely a day in Lucerne. So we'd gone from Basel to Lucerne with barely a day. And we then went from Lucerne, we again caught a Eurail train, go to raileurope.com.au, covering a route known as the Golden Pass from Lucerne to Montreux. The best way I can describe the train journey is to suggest that it puts a lump in your throat. It, it had me on the verge of ecstasy. I mean, really, it did. The sights in the snow-laden Swiss Alps are probably the greatest I have seen in my life, Chris, breathtaking, exhilarating, inspiring, tall mountains, deep valleys, heavily frosted trees, picture postcard chalets as far as the eyes can see in all directions as the train winds its way through the Alps. My camera had no way of recording at all. There was simply so much natural beauty all around me for the entire duration of the trip, the Golden Pass from Lucerne to Montreux. This is one train journey you have to find the time to do sometime in your life. It's extraordinary. It really is amazing. Is there a country that has better scenery as seen from a railway carriage than Switzerland? 
No, no. I, I've caught trains in quite a number of places, nowhere. The, the Golden Pass is the creme de la creme of rail travel. I, I, I just, I was absolutely blown away. There, there was the Golden Pass line from Basel to Lucerne, and then, as I say, from Lucerne to Montreux. Just extraordinary. And you need... The, the, the dilemma that I have, do you take pictures, do you take video, or do you just take soak it all in? You had to travel a second and a third time to, to do all of this. I would quite happily have done that back and forth a few times. It was that special. It really is. And once again, it's the you go to Rail Europe, you go to Eurail... Uh, you catch your URL, but you go to raileurope.com.au, check out the Golden Pass. That's what you need to make it all happen. Montreux Station was a short walk from our hotel with its breathtaking view of the Swiss Alps on our balcony. I kid you not. We stayed at the Euratel Montreux. 16 floors, 164 rooms, seven different room types from singles up to suites. Mediterranean-style restaurant that seats 100 people for lunch and dinner, fitness centre, four conference rooms, each holding about 20 people. When we arrived, the hotel, as is apparently the case with all hotels and holiday apartments in the region, offered us a free Montreux Riviera card. That gives you free travel on public transport, discounts on an alpine scenery cruise, on mountain railways and on a selection of museums and attractions. As I say, this was a free Montreux Riviera card. The Montreux Riviera region began, began attracting visitors, gaining a reputation as a tourist resort because of the success of the literary works of Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Lord Byron. European nobility, particularly the English, travelled there to find serenity, literally also for a change of scenery. Montreux's first guest house opened in 1815. The first large hotels were built from 1840 onwards. The railway came in 1861. Captivated by the beautiful scenery, the climate and the quality of life, a number of famous figures were keen to visit the region. Some even settled there. And we're talking about Victor Hugo, Gustave Eiffel, Charlie Chaplin, Gandhi and Freddie Mercury. Not a bad list of names. That's just some. Chaplin, for example, stayed in the region for 25 years. Mercury, whose statue takes pride of place among the, well, along the Montreux Riviera, not only settled in Montreux, but bought a recording studio there where he recorded his last album with Queen. Well, why wouldn't you? In all exactly. seriousness, if you like the place that much, buy the recording studio and bring the rest of the band to you. Montreux is just stunning. And the Russian composer Igor Stravinsky came to the Lake Geneva region for health reasons. He composed several major works there, and the Congress Centre's auditorium bears his name. Located on Lake Geneva at the foot of the Swiss Alps, Montreux itself has a permanent population around 25,000. And, of course, the world-famous Jazz Festival that's held there each July has been running since 1967. We walked for the best part of 45 minutes to get to Chillon Castle on the shores of Lake Geneva, at the foot of the mountains, which is a great place to visit and the result of several centuries of construction and alteration, Shillon Castle. Back in its day, the small rocky island on which the castle is built acted as natural protection and a strategic location to control movement between the north and south of Europe. 
while the castle's history was marked by three important periods from the 12th century onwards, excavations carried out from the end of the 19th century indicate that the site has been occupied since the Bronze Age. I kid you not. The oldest written mention of it, though, dates back to the year 1150 and establishes that at the time it was already controlled by the Savoy family and they held firm until 1536. So that's 1150 through to 1536, after which the castle was used as a fortress, arsenal and prison by the Bernese who ruled until 1798. So 1536 to 1798 before the Vaud Revolution and thereafter the state of Vaud became the owner of Shillon Castle. Now we spent about oh, an hour and a half climbing up and down through the castle and its many rooms and courtyards. Up high you've got this breathtaking view of the surrounds. It was just great, a really great thing to do. And 45 minutes from our hotel to Shillon Castle. We caught a bus back to Montreux, after which we began exploring the old town on foot. What an absolute delight. You climb up hundreds of stairs to get to the top and peer down. I guarantee that you are richly rewarded, though, after the effort of climbing the stairs, because once again, the views are just spectacular. Along the way, you can appreciate the many architectural del delights of the old town, the magnificent houses. We climbed to the top, then down again, winding our way to an old church, again with those extraordinary views of Lake Geneva, the Swiss Alps and its surrounds. Just the beautiful, the old town at Montreux. As I say, you've got to, got to, got to go along and see it. Then there was another Rail Europe journey, Eurail journey, from Montreux to Geneva. And within 10 minutes of getting on the train, it started snowing. <laughs> so... That was my perfect end to our three days in Switzerland, which encompassed these great cities, Basel, Lucerne and Montreux. We have to go back a day in each, nowhere near enough. The Swiss are mighty, mighty fine people. Rail Europe, boy, oh boy. And the, the way that we did this, I, I long to go back on the Golden Pass line. So it, it was an experience and a half. Switzerland, without question, one of the greatest cities with some wonderful people that I've had the good fortune to visit, Chris. So oh, I'm going to take draw breath and <laughs> we'll continue through Europe on our next podcast, the next version of Travel First. Indeed we shall. Before you go, Alex, a very quick question, because last week you mentioned... Uh, I think on multiple occasions, if I remember correctly, uh, the wonderful chocolate that was available in Belgium. Yes. I know that the Swiss make good chocolate. Uh, did you not partake, or are you just letting me down gently this week? No, 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 no. Swiss chocolate is just oh, divine. Yes, 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 we did. We did, we did, we did. So, look, if you go to Switzerland, you've got to buy the chocolate. Very simply, you've got to see... The sites, you've got to look at the mountains and you've got to eat the chocolate. <laughs> well, well done. I'm pleased you, you highlighted it for me. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Alex, we will leave you to it and we will catch up again very soon to continue your trans-European odyssey. Thank you very much, my friend.
Good on you. See you later, Chris. His name is Alex First. My name is Chris Coleman, and this week you have been listening to Travel First. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell. And together, we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.